Chapter Three of The Flint Heart by Eden Philpotts. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Three: The Reign of Phutt. At the great entrance in the main wall that ran all around the village, three children were sitting in the road playing at knuckle bones. Their hair was black and their eyes were black, and their mouths were purple because they had all been eating whortleberries. They wore no clothes, and their little bodies were hard and strong, and their little muscles were coming on well. They laughed at Phutt as he approached and asked him to come and join the game, but they didn't laugh twice, because Phutt told them to get out of his way, and before they had time to do so, he kicked them out. The infant new stoners flew in one direction, their knuckle-bones flew in another. A woman standing by thought that she must be in a nightmare to see such a horrid sight. But after she had pulled her pigtail to prove that she was awake, she ran screaming down the high street of Crimspon, and let it be known that the great warrior Phutt had gone mad, and was killing the children at the gate. Then the father of the children hastened out and met Phutt, and used some rather strong new stone words such as spitzelfritz and biglifunk and blulilirik, which we have lost the art of pronouncing, if it can be considered a loss. And when he had done, Phutt took his flint-headed axe and hit the father of the family on the head with it, so that he fell down and died upon the spot. There was really no arguing with Phutt now. Of course, during those days people were naturally a little more prickly than they are in the twentieth century, but even for a man who had missed going to school, Phutt went too far. To question his judgment meant a broken jaw or a dig in the pit of the stomach that would have settled anybody but a stone man on the spot, while those unwise members of the clan who openly differed from him found their heads cloven in twain before they could take their hats off. Mrs. Futt very properly sided with her husband. She felt that it was only right and respectable to sink or swim with him, whatever he did. But the thirteen little Futts, as children will, refused to hide their private opinions of the change that had come over Daddy. They howled if he looked at them, and ran for protection to the great, lean, wolfish sheep-dogs that guarded the folds by night. But after Phutt had talked to the sheep-dogs, even they went in fear, and the moment they heard his voice they put their tails between their legs, and bent their heads, and bristled, and growled, and showed their teeth, and skulked with glimmering red-hot eyes away. Then, after three days of this sort of thing, the tribe sent a deputation to their chief, begging that the head of Phutt might be taken off as quickly as possible in the interests of peace and progress. The man of mystery, Fum himself, composed the petition, but even he trembled a little when he delivered it before Brok, because nobody had been more surprised than Fum to find what a frightfully strong charm it was that he had managed to make for Phutt. The big men of the tribe, all that were left, for Phutt had killed a good many, went in a procession to Brokotokotik, and pushed Fum forward. They had chosen an afternoon when Phutt was from home killing bears, 
and Fum rather gabbled the petition, for, like everybody else, he was in a terrible fright that Phutt would return before any plans could be made. May it please your gracious goodness, we, the loyal and faithful people of the loyal and faithful city of Grimspond, do implore and beseech and beg and entreat your genial mightiness to restrain, sit on, squash, squelch, and otherwise smash that high and mighty and far too much puffed-up person known as Phutt, for shortness, whose real name is Phutt-Phutt, from. Take breath, said the chief. There is no hurry, my dear Fum. I am disengaged until supper-time. These legal forms of speech are exceptionally trying to a stout and short-winded gentleman like yourself, because of the lack of stops. Which shows what a wise, considerate, and reasonable person Broke was for those days. Fum thanked him, and the rest applauded with their eyes nervously turned to the gate. But Phutt was not yet in sight. We therefore beg, implore, beseech, and also pray, that it may please your cheerful and kind-hearted amiability to stand between us and the awful severity of Phutt, and, we may add, that he has destroyed many of your kingship's subjects and fighting men, and— He's coming! He's coming! cried several of the older warriors. They were very ancient, and their hair was white and their nerves were not what they had been. Now their knees knocked together, and they exhibited all the worst signs of funk. "'The sooner he comes, the better,' said Brock. "'What I hear annoys me very much. It is quite wrong, and not at all nice of him. Are there not plenty of our enemies to kill if he wants to kill people? I don't like this loose way we are falling into of killing one another without a proper reason. It isn't gentlemanly, and it isn't a good example for the children. What's more, I won't have it. Tell him to come here and stand in front of me. I regret to say that he won't be ordered, explained Fum. Only yesterday two courageous people tactfully hinted to Phutt that his conduct threw him open to criticism. His reply was to cut them both in half across the middle, like two packs of cards. Then it is time for me to act, declared the chief. Phutt must be cautioned, and if it happens again, he shall be punished. The great Brook rose off his granite throne, hitched his robes about him, and sent a boy for his crown. The robes were made of black bearskins, dotted with white rabbit's tails, and nobody but Broke might wear this quaint and pleasing raiment under pain of death, because it was the recognized garment of the chief. Broke's crown was made of kingfisher's feathers, and it gave him quite a stylish look, though he wore it rather farther on the back of his head than crowns are worn now. That, however, is a matter of taste, which did not detract from Brooke's regal appearance in the eyes of his subjects. As Phutt wouldn't come to him, Brooke, with true philosophy, sent for his chair of state and went to Phutt. Four new stoners carried the chair, and the entire population of men, women, children, 
dogs and perambulators came behind. The bold Fut stood at his door eating a piece of cake for his tea. Close at hand Mrs. Fut was skinning the bear which her husband had brought home on his shoulders. "'Good afternoon, Fut,' said Broke. "'Afternoon,' said Fut, with his mouth full. "'You're having your tea, I observe,' said Broke very politely. "'You observe right,' answered Fut. "'Does it occur to you that a good many other brave men would also be having their teas at this moment if you had not slain them?' asked the chief. Oh, "'Pooh! Don't be sentimental,' answered Fut. Then he went on with his cake. Brock took off his crown and scratched his head. It was a natural, if not a kingly, action. The silence was almost painful. You could have heard anybody wink. "'Am I your chief, or am I not?' asked Brock calmly. "'You are not,' answered Fut. "'Then you stand convicted of treason to the throne,' replied Brock and you know what the punishment for that is. Brock began to get angry, for the scorn and insolence in Futt's eyes was hard to bear. Who took my white moleskin war waistcoat and silver fox petticoat? asked Futt passionately. He had finished his tea, and his fingers were playing with the edge of his terrible flint axe. They were not yours, answered Brock. The spoils of a slain chief belong to the victorious chief, and nobody else. As a matter of fact, I may tell you that the moth has gotten into the war waistcoat rather badly. That is neither here nor there, answered Fut. What I say is that I deny your right to the chieftainship of this clan, and, in fact, I claim it for myself. Uh, perhaps you'll tell me why, suggested Broke because I'm stronger and bigger and younger and a better manager," said Fut. "'You may be,' answered Brooke, though I'm not prepared to admit all that. But as I am chief, and these gentlemen and ladies are perfectly satisfied with the way I and my wife manage things, it ill becomes you to talk this nonsense. You are a minority of one.' "'So be it,' returned Fut. Then who will join the minority? None answered, and the intrepid Fut moistened his hands and swung his battle-axe. If you won't all join the minority, then you shall all join the majority, he cried, and with this dreadful threat he shouted to the spirit of the thunder to lend him a hand and boldly attacked the entire clan. His first awful blow laid Brokotokotik dead at his feet, and the Thunder Spirit, though he did not actually take sides with Fut and kill anybody, yet rattled and roared a good deal, and made it pretty clear that he was in favor of a change. So the rest of the braves yielded without more unpleasantness, because their wives implored them to do so for the sake of the children and Fut promised them all a little present on the occasion of his next birthday. He immediately put on the bearskin and rabbit tails and the kingfisher crown, and everybody bowed down and asked what his first order as chief was going to be. And he said, Take Brock 
and build a huge and solemn funeral fire, and burn him with all proper respect on the top of it. As for his wife and family, they may choose whether they will be burnt with him or not. I want them to please themselves. For the rest, everything that was Brock's is, of course, mine, and after we have given him a splendid funeral, and Fum has sung a funeral song to last over three days, then I shall ascend the granite throne, and we will rejoice for a month and eat and drink day and night until we nearly burst ourselves. And after all that, we shall want some hard work and exercise, so I shall lead you against the enemy. The businesslike way in which Phutt made all these arrangements and impressed everybody. He seemed to calm down again after poor Broke was burnt, and he insisted on a magnificent grave being built for the late chief's ashes. But it was put up miles and miles away from Grimspun, because if there is one thing a new stoner is horribly frightened of, it is a ghost. So when anybody had the misfortune to die suddenly, as generally happened, he was taken far away to be buried or burnt, in order that his ghost might get lost in the middle of the moor, and not by any evil chance find the way back to his old home. So Phutt reigned in place of Brock, and I am not going to tell you any of the things that he did, because they were exceedingly horrid as a rule. He won all his battles, and always had his own way, and the people hated the ground he walked on, and did everything he told them instantly, because he never spoke twice. He defeated all the neighboring tribes, and those he didn't kill he took for slaves. Poor Mrs. Futt couldn't stand it, so she died. She was a nice, sensible woman, though not equal to the glory of being a chief's wife. In fact, the grandeur killed her, and also the sorrow of knowing what people really thought of Phutt behind his enormous back. But he didn't care. He didn't even go into mourning. He married twenty-seven more wives and bullied them all. Among other things that he did was to destroy all the bugaboos but one, which he kept on a chain to frighten the children. He also made several new roads, and invented a new chimney that prevented the huts of his town from being full of smoke when the wind was in the west, which it generally was, and he caused his tribe to become the fiercest and most cruel and most powerful tribe on Dartmoor. And whenever he had a birthday, which was about once a fortnight, he made the people set up a huge stone in his honor and many of these stones are still standing on Dartmoor, so you will see them when you go there. Yet despite the fact that he had made them so strong and terrible, despite the fact that everybody had sheep and cattle and skins and luxuries, despite the fact that he was the first new stoner who broke soil and planted seed in it, despite the fact that he was the first new stoner to invent a sling and hurl stones at the enemy, despite the fact that he patented a splendid trap for wolves and arranged an empire day 
and made the little new stoners all walk two and two, singing about the size of the dominions of Phutt, and the blessing of living under Phutt, and the importance of binding the outlying districts to the main camp, and such like. Despite all these facts, nobody liked him, because he ruled entirely by fear. And to be always frightened is a bad thing, and gets on people's nerves after a time. And they never, never really care for the person who treats them so, however great and grand and clever he may be. Thumb had always to be making poetry in his old age, and it bored him a good deal sometimes. But with practice even Empire Day poetry came pretty easy to him, which was lucky, for he had to invent thousands of poems on that subject. But despite all his splendor, Phutt was a cloudy and careworn man. He looked back sometimes to the days when he had a soft heart but I don't honestly think he ever wanted to go back. At any rate, he stuck tight to his terrible charm, and when he began to grow old, he decided that no future chief of his clan would ever get on without it. So he made Fum promise to hand the flint heart to a certain young warrior, his own grandson, in fact, who was to succeed him. And Fum promised but he did not keep his word. He was, of course, frightfully old himself now, and would have been dead and buried ages ago, but for the fact of being a mystery man. A mystery man cannot die under two hundred years, and if he is careful and doesn't go out at night, and only eats rice pudding and mutton chops, he may live to be five hundred. At any rate, Fum told a lie and I am the last to excuse him for that. Instead of handing the flint heart to the new chief when Phutt closed his eyes and passed away, he buried it with Phutt, because, you see, he knew only too well what it meant, and he felt that the tribe had now reached a point when it could get on without quite such a harsh and stern man as Phutt to lead it. King hearts are more than coronets, said Fum to himself, quoting Tennyson, funnily enough. Anyway, I'll take what risk there is and bury the charm with him. And if the thunder spirit makes a fuss and burns me up, well, really, I don't much mind. I've lived a very interesting life, and I shall escape having to write any more empire poetry. In fact, Nothing is so bad but that it might be worse. So after they had burnt Phutt, for he decided before he died that he would be burnt and then buried, Fum dropped the flint heart privately into his ashes. And Phutt slept under the heather, and the finest thing in cairns that you can well imagine was erected over him. And everyone hoped with all their might that Phutt's ghost would keep quiet and not come worrying around Grimspond afterwards on moonshiny nights. And the Thunder Spirit did nothing, for he was busy somewhere else at the critical moment. So Fum had to make up more Empire poetry after all. But his magnum opus, or masterpiece, which would have been the Saga of Phutt in 370 verses, 
he did not live to finish. He had learned and committed to his amazing memory two hundred and fourteen verses when there came a dreadful and fatal incursion of a tribe from Cosden Beacon on the north side of Dartmoor. They fell upon Grimspund by night, and because the new chief was an intelligent new stoner, who didn't like bloodshed, and believed that it was better far to rule by love than fear, and was, in fact, several thousand years ahead of his time, therefore he and his folk had to pay the usual penalty of being so much wiser than everybody else. In fact, they all perished, and Grimspund ran streams of gore, and the scene was such that I hate even to think of it, and won't write a word more about it. Then the conquering tribe started their empire day, and made their tinkling rhymes, and in their turn, after many years, gave place to other and stronger people, according to the way of things that changes never. And now we drop the curtain for a moment, and alter the scenery a little, and give the moor time to rest, and get over all those fearful troubles that Grimspund had seen. The first act of the story of the Flint Heart is ended, and since there is an interval of five thousand years between the first act and the second, there ought to be plenty of time for you to have a sponge cake and a glass of ginger beer, if not a whole Christmas dinner, before we go on again. End of chapter 3